everybody. It's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. This is another episode, but this is the 300th episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Thank you guys for being so supportive of this show that we can continue to bring it to you. We really enjoy it. We've got a packed edition today. Bubba Wallace is going to come in here and talk to us about today's current events going on in the world. Chase Elliott's going to drop in. We're also going to talk about the Xfinity race at Bristol. Being a car owner, watching your two cars crash into each other, that was kind of tough. So we'll see if we can unpack that a little bit. Should be a great show. Let's get started. All right, everybody. Uh, just as promised, Bubba Wallace has dropped into the show. Uh, good to see you, Bubba. You too, man. How's it been going? Oh, God. Busy. My phone has been blowing up nonstop last couple uh yeah a couple days um i can imagine just recently talked to jimmy johnson had a good conversation with him uh talked to my mom talked to pr people from from the race team settling down barely had some time to eat so we're ready to roll what are you and jimmy johnson why does jimmy johnson call it why is he blowing you up i don't know i thought he was mad at me i think i ran over him a couple times this past weekend but it wasn't that it wasn't that it was what's going on in the world today okay so you kind of uh, that's that you know I got a lot of a lot of things I've wanted to ask you and and that really brings uh, one of my questions right to the surface here. You know you're the only black driver in the Cup Series, and in a situation like this, you're the guy that everybody looks to on social media. You know everybody's waiting on what Bubba's going to say, yeah. how Bubba's going to respond. We've had a couple instances over the last several weeks where you've sort of been the guy that everybody looks at. How does that make you feel? Honestly, is that a stressful burden? Is it something you are getting more comfortable with? How does that make you feel when everybody puts that on you? Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough. I think the one thing you can't learn being a part of, I guess, any sport, any sanctioning body, whatever it is, is the pressure that comes with it off the racetrack. It's, it's how you carry yourself. And matters like this. It's it's how you portray your image, your brand. And that's where the pressure comes from. Just because I can say the same thing as Joe Schmo from around the block, word for word, but mine is picked out because I am somebody that's in a, that has a profession in a national spotlight. And there's no practice for that. You are thrown into the wolves. And you have to learn as you go. Have I stepped over the line and said some things I shouldn't have? Absolutely. We're all we're all human. We all make mistakes. So the instances that we've dealt with in the last month or so, starting with Larson, that was, that was tough just because, you know, through all of the chaos that has gone on in the world, all of the African-Americans, the unarmed black men and women being killed, I've been silent on I've, I've, I've read all of them, and I've been silent. It's just I just felt like it wasn't my place, and that was a huge mistake. I don't wish I could go back and, and start over, but what I'm trying to say is that I got to be careful because this is the part where this is where the pressure comes from. It's like, okay, how is he going to word this? You know, right. who am I going to piss off with the way I did? And that's, yep. that's Jimmy Johnson and I had that conversation earlier. And when I told him I was worried about how I said something, he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. you're scared of saying something as a black man, you're scared. And I'm like, yeah, I, I was because I, you got to be careful how it comes out. And he was like, that just opened my eyes way more than ever. Just by saying that I was afraid to say something that I had, I had just said. And so 
so starting off with the Larson stuff, you know, it, it felt that, that one hit home because it was inside of our sport. And that one directly didn't directly target me, but indirectly pulled me in. And I'm, I'm right there. I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. As soon as I read it, I'm like, I am involved. I didn't even do anything. Right. I already rage quit. I race and I'm done with it. I'm not even part of it. I've rage quit. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it brought me right back in to where I thought it was time to say something. And I, and I said my thoughts and I, I had wrote up that message, typed it all out and got it proofread and, and made some tweaks and, and put some more thought into it. And I posted it and we went on about it. And I, I encouraged NASCAR to, to do a lot to really, you know, that, that, that moment set us back. And, you know, we're not sitting here bashing Larson again. That, that moment set our sport back a lot. And he knows that the sport knows that the fans know that. And, and the ones that, that are targeting us, they, they, that's kind of what they want. It's like, oh, yep, we're right back to where it started. And I'm, I'm encouraging people, our drivers, our, our, the sanctioning body to help us get past this. So fast forward to two or three weeks ago, the Ahmad Arbery video. I don't know if you guys yeah. have seen that, the jogger. Yeah. That one, I was sitting right here in this chair playing Call of Duty. This was the same setting I was in, maybe a different T-shirt, no hat. And it was about midnight when I seen that video, Dale. And my heart had – I've lost a race. I've, I've given up a race, you know, and lost last lap, whatever. And I, I thought my heart was broken there. My heart was broken, and my stomach was ripped out of my body when I seen that, that video. And, and even think about it, you know, I'm getting emotional now thinking about that video and just seeing how an unarmed black man was – you know, I don't know all the details on this, so – to jogging down the street being hunted by two armed civilians and shot and killed him in broad daylight with the other guy videoing sounded like he loaded his gun and was ready to do the same thing. So that's my take on that. And I'm just like, what kind of world do we live in where we hunt people and take their life away? Because we assume something. We assume that this is a black guy that's terrorizing our neighborhood. So we're going to go kill him. What in the hell, man? Like, I, I, I don't see how people can can wake up and think like that. Like, okay, yeah, we have them in our sights. Cops can come and take care of the business. But that's where it all started and kind of shifted my mindset on how vocal I need to be. And uh, I remember waking up that next morning, and Amanda was here working. And I walked out, and I kind of just gave her a, a blank stare. I don't even know if I said good morning to her. and. um Damn, this is this is bad, man. It's it's terrible, you know. Um, and she says, "Everything okay?" And I said, "No, I've seen a video where." And she she knew what I was talking about. She was like, "Yeah, I've seen it too." And we sat there and talked about it, and it was I was still mind mind blown over it. And so, obviously, we grieved through that and got through that. And then you see the George Floyd incident. And you're just like, man, when, when's it going to change? When is it going to stop? That's why I sent out my initial tweet. It's getting old. And, and I, I don't know what's going to change, how it's going to change. But I've, I've accepted the, I guess, the new role, the role that I should have before of, of being, you know, outspoken about and being vocal. But it's just, I, I don't know. 
you know what to do. I feel helpless because you know I've I've been discriminated against, and I shared those stories with with Ty Dillon last night. And I'll share them again in a little bit, but it's just it's just a sad place we live in to where I won't get accepted because of my skin color. That's it. It 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 just I I I don't get it. So yeah, it's been it's been tough. I've I've been pissed the last week or so. I raced with a lot of anger on Sunday just because of everything that's going on in the, in the world. Yeah. You could, you could tell that you raced with some, some aggression and uh, it's incredible to even imagine you having to carry those emotions into what you're going to do in that race car. How has speaking out, you, you, you just explained to us how you've changed your approach to that and how has speaking out made you feel? How has that changed things for you personally, putting your message out there? Yeah, I think no matter what, you're always going to have the, the people to pick it apart and, and come at you and come after you. And that's, that's part of it. You know, I got into a little Twitter battle there after the race on Sunday with a guy and, and I ended up sending him a private message and, and we had a peaceful conversation. It was peaceful to start with, but it was just like, let's, let's take it privately. And, and we talked and, and, you know, that was positive. We just hear each other's thoughts. And that's, that's what we don't do. We don't listen to each other enough. The society doesn't listen to our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters. We don't listen. All we do is, and I'm guilty of it too, we'll judge a book by its cover. We'll judge somebody before you even meet them and, and come up with an assumption. And it takes me back to racing legend cars, and it wasn't a, a discriminating thing. Uh, I had a kid come up to me and say, man, you're not bad to race at all. And I was like, no, I, I try not to be. I, mean, I race you how you race me. Yeah, everybody says that you, you were a jerk to race around and whatnot. We've raced around for years now, and I finally realized like that was a lie. And I was like, yeah, all right. Well, I kicked your ass today, but yeah, thanks, you know, whatever, and, and moved on. <laughs> but, but it shows he had that notion of me being an, an ass and a jerk on the racetrack just because of somebody else's opinion. And, and, and instead of finding out for himself, which he did later, it's just that kind of just – it's like you don't, you don't know somebody. You don't know what people are going through. You don't know – like we have to be patient. You know, we talk about being patient in a race car, being patient at Darlington, being patient at Bristol. We got to take that and apply it to life. Mm. And we have to be patient with one another. We, we, we rush into things. We're, we're, we're very impatient. It's, it's opened my eyes to – I turn on the news for the first time Saturday morning, I think. No, Friday morning for Bristol. I, I never turn on the news. I never watch. Unless Amanda leaves it on and turns the, turns the TV off, then I'll turn it on and it's on. I, I went from whatever channel I was watching and typed in channel 18, found whatever news it was and, and was sitting there listening and watching. And I was like, something's changed in me because I, I would avoid the news like the black plague. And I just didn't want to be a part of it. And now I'm, I'm, I'm taking a, an effort to understand where all the hate, where all the anger, the pain, the suffering is coming from. And and I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm wanting to, I'm doing my research. I'm learning about things. So I feel better about speaking out about it. I'm not, I'm not shy. Y'all know me. I'm not shy about speaking my mind. So. But are people's affirmations important to you? How important is people's affirmation? When you go step out and, and deliver your message, Dale asked you if it was, you know, what does that make you feel like? It seems to me like it's helping you internally, but are you also going out and seeing what people's responses to your messages are? Absolutely. We are, Jimmy and I talked about this as well. We are trained to look at the negative. 
over a thousand comments that that are 999 all positive you you sit there and read that one that's negative over and over and over and over again yeah you know yeah. We're, we're, I wish I could not do that, but we are trained to, to, to feed off the negative hate and energy. And that's just one thing that I am trying to do better as a person. I have been wearing out the block button on the, on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> I remember years ago, Dale's talking about it's sunshine and rainbows and whatever it is on his timeline. He doesn't see anything cause they're all blocked. And I, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've blocked a ton of people and, and it's, and that and I feel good about it. Like they, I don't need the negative energy anymore. I already put enough pressure on myself. And when I mess up, I own up to it and I am beating myself up until seven days later when I get to climb and race car again and, and go do it again. Now with all this stuff going on, the world, it opens up a new, it opens up a new Avenue. It opens up for people that aren't even a part of the sport to give their opinion. And that's a no whole another learning curve. Yeah. That that's a interesting thing for me and I we were talking a little bit earlier this week and you were giving me a little bit of an insight into some of your experiences on social media just over the years and yep. I mean I I have a hard time not turning my back on just let's say Twitter for example let's just take that platform I have a hard time just with what I deal with yep. not turning my back on Twitter because it's just so frustrating the misunderstanding you when you you could say one sentence and people will read it a thousand different ways depending yep. on who they are, what mood they're in, yep. what's going on in their lives. I obviously uh, don't don't see the type of hate and and difficulties that you you deal with on Twitter, and I don't understand how you how you're so strong to be able to continue to sort of weather that storm to be able to stay involved in the platform and use your use your voice. So, uh, how do you do that? That's a, a good question. You know, for me, it was always like that that kind of boring answer. I just put on the helmet and go drive and put it all behind me. But that is, that is what I do. I mean, at the end of the day, I know I still have a job to do and, and to, to sit here and to read all that and let it beat me up. It's just, man, I, I know what I am capable of and I believe in myself and, and my abilities 100% each and every time. And, and we're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. And I, I, I feed off the, the competitive edge that, that gets me over that hump to, you know, that's, that's why we do it. We're competitive. We, we love competing. And I think that helps with, with dealing with all that stuff. It's like I get a chance to – I get another chance to prove you wrong here. It might not happen, but I, it, I get another chance, you know. And, and one day they'll, they'll all go away. That's, that's how it was when, when I was younger. It was, you know, I always had the people rooting against you, giving you the finger when you won. You show up and win again, they're just sitting there with their arms crossed this time like, damn, he's pretty good, I guess. We got to let him slide. That's all you can do. You just keep showing up. And eventually yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll either shut up or they'll, they'll, they'll leave. That's it. So that's kind of how I always dealt with it. You know, let me just go out and continue living my life. And, and you, you have enough time on your hands to worry about my life. That's not my problem. You need to find something to do and get your mind off me. I appreciate support, but. You know, you're just adding fuel to the fire to me to go out and do better things. Bubba, I, I want to ask you this, and I don't even know the right way to ask it. So, but I, I'm, I'm curious. I want to learn about this. Like, did you watch The Last Dance with Michael Jordan? Loved it. Yeah, wasn't it amazing? Yes. One of the things that I thought, and it made me really try to understand, is the confliction that one must be in when there are, are multiple entities of people and corporate sponsors and this and that. 
pulling you in multiple directions with expectations on each side that never really match up, right? And one of the things about The Last Dance was that Michael, when it came to some, you know, big social issue or, you know, similar actually to the situation we find ourselves in now, when the country is sort of in this divisive, like, you know, turmoil, and they look to their to their person, to their star, to their you know their leader to tell us where to go. And Michael, he he tapped out. He's like you know you know I'm. He didn't he didn't throw his vote in the ring. You know he, he that was a very deliberate thing. And, and people sort of admonished him for that maybe, or you know some people did, and maybe even the African American community would in some cases, right? Right. It made me think we have no idea the confliction one must feel. And you're talking about pressure, where the pressure must come from. Well, it's coming at you both different diff- different directions, right? Am I wrong yep. in that? No, you're, you're right. And, and then that's not even accounting the pressure you put on yourself. And I know you, and you put on just as much pressure as anybody. So can you help me further understand the turmoil that, that the conflict and the expectations come? And is that really the source of the pressure that you're speaking of? Yeah, for sure. I think for me, Look, I've I've gone from ups and downs, or, or being at the top, kind of worked my way down, and and just kind of riding the roller coaster out. And where I'm at today, we're a very small team, and I, I say that I might be beating a dead horse on that, but it's it's the truth. We're, we're a small team, but I'd be damned if we haven't turned up a notch this year and been running great. We've shown a lot of speed, and and it's and it's showing the pressure comes from the ones that know nothing. Right. And they are making assumptions. And that's where I let the pressure get to me is because, for example, we had our second hub failure at Charlotte back to back and I smacked the wall because of it. People are like, he wrecked the car. He's, he's terrible. Kick him out. He needs to be done. He's tarnished the 43 name and it'll never re- recover with him driving. And it's like, did you not hear that we broke a hub, man? Right. When, when that happens, it could have been a lot worse, you know, like, and that's where that pressure comes in because it's like, all right, you son of a gun, I want you, I want, I want to invite you out to the next one. I want you to invite you to the shop and come hang out with us all week. And then let's go to the racetrack and let's let, let's give you a front hand look, first hand look at what we go through and then versus other teams and show you how hard we are busting our ass to compete with big teams. That's where that, I, I feed off that. And I want to prove every person wrong. And then on top of the sponsors coming in and you want to run good for that and, and you have a one-time sponsor come in and it's like, okay, this is a big race, this is a favorite race, and something goes south. And then it's like, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get that opportunity again. And, and for me, I feel like I always have more eyes on me. Go, let's go to Bristol on iRacing. I got wrecked twice in 18 laps on a video game and I quit. I didn't even cuss when I quit. I, I don't. I, I did. I said, my bad. And I got off. It wasn't even a rage quit, to be honest with you. It wasn't even a rage quit. And I get dropped from a sponsor. Yeah. And, and part of me thinks like, what? Part of me thinks, if that was somebody else, would that have happened? Mm. You know, and, and I, I think that. I, I, I believe in that. Like, if it was some other driver, would that have happened? Or would it have been like, man, we don't appreciate that. I get that, but the way it was blown up, magnified, that gave me more fuel and fire to get back in a race car in real life and go out and, and do good things. So it just, for me, it's, 
I let so much negative pressure get to me, but I, I let that build up for me to go out and compete well. I don't let it. I used to let it like wear me down and, and not be able to sleep, want to go out and win practices. I remember KBM 2013 in the truck. I had probably five bad races in a row, wrecked out just because I was like, I'm not winning practice. I'll never get a sponsor if I don't win practice. I missed the pole and 15th, I'm starting 15th. Kyle's on the pole by three seconds. I'm terrible. And then I was just like, take it back, take it back a notch. Come into 2014, had a great year, beat Kyle a couple times. And, and, and started realizing that. Went to Roush and went down that same path. It's like, okay, I got to make a name for myself. I got to go out. And, and I'm, I feel like I was a badass in the trucks. We're going to turn this program around. We're going to go out and win races. That is the thing that haunts me to this day that I am winless in the Xfinity Series. Pisses me off every day I think about it. Hey, you can fix that. I, I know. I know. I know. Dale's got a ride. So call me when the one's available. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I just let I let so much negative stuff get to me, and, and it. But it, like I said, it builds me up to be competitive. Yeah, I think you're using it as fuel. I am, I am, and it, it, and it's like it's it's a it's a thin line to walk. Yeah, because it can get too much to where it's it's taking you away from what you need to be focused on. Like I could be sitting on Twitter all, up until five minutes before climbing in the car, being like, "All right, that's a negative comment," or I can just kind of see it and be like, "Okay." This is the job I got to go and do. We'll go out and compete and have fun. That, that's how my mind works. Anybody else, I would say, don't read the negative comments. You are you seem to be the exception to the rule only because you use it as fuel. But there's also another thing that I've noticed, and you said it back, and, and this is something that Dale and I have noticed about you, and that is you are also very unique in that you do still try to listen. I remember – listen to people who have a, uh, a disagreement with you or have taken, and I remember when, was it several years ago, you, there's somebody stepping at you on Twitter and you're inviting them to a race. Like, yep. look, come, come, let me invite you. Hot passes on me, this kind of thing. You've always been yep. that guy. Listen, yep. we could all take a lot of lessons from that approach and listening and, and understanding, you know, Dale Jr. It finally ate at him this week because he's been stewing on this whole situation in our country all week and the I think the instinctual reaction for guys in your both of your shoes is don't cause more attention to myself than necessary right I don't need the headache I don't need that but eventually it festers in you and you've got to do something because sitting on the sidelines not an option anymore and they'll reach that point and you know what I told him don't look at the comments I looked at him. Yeah. Don't look at the comments because it will absolutely disappoint you on where we are as a society. It'll, it'll, nobody is willing to listen and understand before they already have their mind made up, however ignorant it is. And that is where we are. How do you fix yeah. that? How do you, where yeah, do you go it. from there if nobody's willing to listen to each other? People, it's, it's either if I see one more driver post about this, I'm done watching NASCAR. Yeah instead of trying to understand the problem of why we're talking about it. Exactly. Right. Why can't you be impacted too? Because you're a race car driver, this doesn't affect you. I mean, it broke you down yeah. into tears. Anybody yeah. that would have watched that that has even an ounce of compassion would understand that that is just that's unacceptable. And yet people are, are, are so tired of hearing about Black Lives Matter. We're we're tired of hearing about that. Well well damn it. Make a change. You know right. step up and be a part of the change. And, when, and one day we'll stop, hear, stop hearing about that, hopefully. That's exactly what my pinned tweet is about. 
my pin tweet is from 2017 and I still get comments to this day talking about this guy is only chasing uh, race. He just throws, he's a race baiter. He just throws race in every conversation. Look at his pin tweet. I did an interview about debuting in the 43. I believe it was around that time. I forgot who it was with. I'll have to look back on that. And 50 comments come through once it's posted. And the, but the, the article reads African American driver, to make his debut along those lines. Starts off with black driver, African-American driver, and the comments were going off. He's just a driver. He's just a driver. We got to keep throwing black at him. He's just a driver. All positive stuff. And I went to Twitter and I said, guys, I understand your pain, but you're not going to stop hearing about the black driver for a long time. Media has to get their, their message across. That's the only way they're going to get views is if they put something – that's going to grab your attention. And they won. It grabbed your attention. You were clicking on the link. You see the headline. They already got the clickbait. They, 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 they sucked you in. I said, you have to accept it, that they're going to do it. Accept it, embrace it, and enjoy our journey together as we try to get through this. This isn't me saying, hey, I'm here. I'm the black driver. Watch out. This is me saying, no matter what I do, slip and fall in the bathroom at, at a racetrack. Black driver slips and falls at the racetrack. That's just how it is. That's the world we live in. Accept it. That's what my message is about. It's amazing that you are the one that had to explain that to people too, though. Like this is yeah. like, hey guys, this is uh, this is my life. Uh, I'm. This is what you can expect moving forward. Anytime something happens, um, this is going to be yeah. the headline. Just so you know, get yeah. used to it, right? Yeah. Absolutely, get get used to it. So it's a part of my name. Unfortunately, that's how it is. So. I'm not sweating it. I want you guys to join me and not sweat it. Amen to that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the opp- I think the opportunity for me in this particular instance was to learn. I don't know that I did enough listening in the past. And I, I feel for you, Bubba, because you carry the burden to be the black driver yep. in our sport that we look to, that we all, we all look to you for, for guidance and for assistance. And now, it's our responsibility to educate ourselves, right? Yep. It's, it's my responsibility. It's not yours to, tell, to teach me. Yep. But as I'm trying to educate myself, I do, I do, it does pose questions. I do have questions. And Bring them you've, been, you've been incredible. And I appreciate you being that guy. So I have to, you know, I have to imagine it, it struck me in a great way to see you and Ty have such a personal conversation in front of the world pretty much on Instagram Live. You yep. just talked about talking to Jimmy. And having a conversation with him, I know that you probably had more conversations this week with drivers and industry folk than you can count. Yep. Are those are those good experiences for you? Are you coming away from those conversations in a better place? Do you do you feel like that the people that are in those conversations with you leave those conversations in a better place? That's a that's a great question. And to be honest with you, I've felt as pissed off as I am internally. Every conversation I've had, I've felt better about the direction our sport is heading. We damn sure got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I fired off. You know, I sent out my, my message about the George Floyd incident, and you had other drivers chime in, Todd Dillon, Tyler Reddick, Jimmy. I seen they asked questions after the race, and I was like, wow, all right, that's, that's stepping up. I think Clint had mentioned something there. And, and so – I was I was so mad after the race just because there wasn't more of that from our peers, our competitors. Mm. 
and and Ty and I had talked, and Ty and I have been we've been close. We've we've raced against each other since we were kids, and obviously being an alliance there, RCR definitely we're around each other a lot. But on a more personal level, we haven't. Mm. And so the conversations that we had really fired me up in a, in a positive way to 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 get my message across. So I had sent a, a message to the drivers and high ups in, in NASCAR. Dale, you, you've been a part of that text chain. All the, all the high ups that you would need to get my message across. And I said, this group has all the drivers. I mean, I can, I can go back and read it. I, need, I might need to proofread it so I don't get myself in trouble. Wouldn't that, but, be, wouldn't that be something? If all this stuff, you, you, you didn't proofread a text message and you read it on the Dale Jr. download, that's, that's not right? what wants to happen. I said a few drivers, very few have given their opinion on a day's matter, and I appreciate that. But the silence from the top drivers in our sport is beyond frustrating. Ooh. Mm. All of our drivers, our sport has always had somewhat of a racist label to it. NASCAR, everybody thinks redneck, better flag, racist. And I hate that. And I hate that because I know it's NASCAR's so much more. I said, I said, do y'all not care about what's going on in the world? That's not the right way to go about it. I said, our voice carries so much more weight than Joe Schmo from down the street. I mentioned, I said, we have got to do better. We've got to step up, urge everybody to, to say, you know, what they feel. And, and I get, I get it. I said, this is way more important. At the end of that, it's way more important than any race win, any championship that you've ever accomplished. This is something that can change the, on a global impact. So imagine, imagine that. Imagine I wouldn't want to be the guy that went out and won a championship in a horrible year, but never made a comment on the issues that we are dealing with in our society and, and being, maybe being that only guy. And I, I wouldn't want to carry that burden because I'm looked at as championship caliber driver, whatever it may be. You, you've got to deal in all aspects. And I get, we have, it, we, we got it tough. We got to worry about sponsors. We got to worry about teams and all that stuff. But that has shifted for me. This is, this is, and maybe I'm wrong for thinking about this, but I don't give a damn what anybody says. I'm going to get my message across on how I feel and, and what I think should be, you know, how, how things should be changed in this world to, to make it better for everybody to be included. Inclusion is so important. And I'm not worried about what sponsors think. I'm not worried about what the team thinks for once. And that's where I, maybe some people are like, it's just tough subject to, to comment. I get that. I get that. You're, you're white. It's tough. You don't understand it. But that still, I told Chase Elliott this. I told him, you know, him and him and Ryan are probably the, we're obviously the closest to. I texted him last night. I said, say, hey, man, you're the biggest name in our sport right now, bud. Like it or not, you're the biggest name. And your voice carries over much more than mine in our sport. I said, don't be silent on this, please. Don't be, don't, don't let it go into wraps. And he was, he was like, I know it's tough to comment on. I've been trying to come up with something. And he said, you know, what's, what's really going to change? I said, Chase, I don't know, but think about this. I said, imagine a follower, two followers that you have and out of your, I don't know how many followers you got. One is a person that's going to go hate somebody, go kill somebody today. And the other one is somebody that's getting discriminated against. Imagine you saying something and both of those people look at that and they're like, wow, that changed who I am today. I'm not going to hate on anybody anymore. And I'm not going to allow to be discriminated against anymore. I'm going to stand up for what's right. 
Imagine your words changing somebody else's life. Being silent on that, they could have just been, I was waiting for somebody to tell me something. We have that platform and that voice to tell people we have got to stop and change our ways. That's just how I think about it. I mean, my words could have helped people, pissed off people for sure, but it could have helped that one person that, that needed it, that didn't know it. Wow, Bubba Wallace just said that. He's my favorite driver. You know what? I'm going to change my life today because of that. That, that makes me feel good. Yeah. Well, what do both y'all think? I, would you agree or disagree that what we're lacking is first and foremost? I mean, we're talking about listening and a lack of listening, but maybe it goes more to the lack of empathy. You know, I mean, I, I don't know where we, I don't know how we got to such a place of where we're so selfish. I mean, it's like, if, if it doesn't affect me, then I'm not going to worry about it. I don't know. I just don't see a whole lot of compassion being thrown around. I don't see a whole lot of empathy being thrown around. And it's like, you know, uh, looking out for each other, your brothers and your sisters, man. I mean, your neighbors. That's what I feel. Man, we're having a great conversation with Bubba Wallace here, but let's take a quick break. Dale, we've got a value partner to tell him about. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or the neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Dalton, this probably sounds real familiar to you. It does. I just bought a house last year. And, you know, you asked, uh, why can't all this information be in one place? Well, now it is. On Homes.com, they've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. My most public interaction is on social media. And I hate to take social media at face value, but when I first joined Twitter, it was a better place. And it's, it's much more toxic than it used to be. It's much more challenging and frustrating to be there in that space at times, especially times like this. It's almost impossible. And that to me has been a big shift. And I think that that is a micro example of what's happening in, in our society. There's less compassion. There's less patience, like you were talking about, Bubba. And we are dealing with unprecedented times with unemployment. Uh, People are frustrated. They're mad. They're angry. Just about. They're fearful. Yep. Yeah. They're fearful. I mean, I'm I'm fearful. I feel like Mike was talking about. I've been stewing over this, and and, you know, we throw around so many quotes um, during times like these, and. In my opinion, they're great because usually they're they're quotes from great men and, and historical figures in our in our lives that that we all need to continue to to draw from. And um, there was a quote Matthew Dillner uh, posted something on his social media from from Martin Luther King that talks about we must learn to live together as brothers or we will perish together as fools. And seeing that, I like that. And I had a similar quote that a friend sent me many, many years ago. And it's a quote uh, from Abraham Lincoln. I, a buddy of mine sent me this over 10 years ago and I've saved this and I've had this and I've read it over and over and over. And, and 
many points in my life and I truly feel this to be true. And, um, but basically he was speaking and said, at what point, then is the approach of danger to be expected. I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. And, and basically he's saying that if we fail as a nation, it will be us that fails it. Our future and our success is determined by us. Yeah, for sure. uh, nobody's going to come across the ocean and destroy us. Nope. You know, so I drew from, I think that Martha, Martin Luther King's quote is along the same lines. Like we, we've got to figure this out. We've got to come together to make this, make the change. Yep. And I also feel that it starts in our own homes. You know, my responsibility to change is my own in my own heart. And my responsibility beyond that is to my, my children, the children that I raise, that they're changed, that they're better. Yep. You know, so it, I get a little frustrated with how much more challenging the world is today and how harder it is to communicate. Mm -hmm. It gets more and more difficult to have just common, decent conversation yep. over certain topics like this. People, but, people just have, have no patience for it. Man. It's just like, yeah. it's just the, that's one of the roots of the problem. It's like, I have ideas that I want to talk about and then the person gets fed up. It's like, I'm done hearing about it. It's like, you're, you're part of the problem, you know? Yeah. And it's tough. And, and you're right about, sorry to cut you off. You're right about starting at home because I say hate is taught. You're brought into this world. You don't know a damn thing. You don't even know how to talk. You don't even know how to walk. Hate is taught. So you're right. It does start at home. You know, I, I, that's something as a parent, Dale, you know, I, I've caught myself really kind of pondering this. You know, I talked to, I, I, I've talked to uh, Tony Mayhoff a lot about this and, and uh, his wife, frankly. And it's like, I've got two little girls. Dale, you're about to have two. What is my responsibility as a parent to teach them about the past transgressions of our country? Should I tell them about that? Is it my responsibility to teach them about slavery? You know, or am I inviting something that will have not the positive effect that I think it will, you know, or am I, what, what am I doing? And man, I sit here and scrutinize these things. I scrutinize because as a parent, you know, you got one shot, right? You got one shot. They're going to yeah. grow up. They're either going to be terrors to society or they're going to be, you know, contributors to society. And what is it going to be? And I think I sort of net out. It's like, they're going to have to live their own life and, and learn it for themselves. I can tell them a lot. I can teach them a lot, but ultimately when they leave my house, they're going to have to learn it for themselves. And that scares me because look at the world around us. Yeah. That's what's going to teach my kids. That's going to, is, is it, is it our world right now? That's going to be the deciding factor of what they become. Maybe they see it and they go, Oh, I, I've got to do something about it or I can do so. But this is a hope now at that point. So like, you know, as a parent, what do you do? How do you teach them? Do you even show them what's on the television right now? I think, uh, well, for me speaking, I'm nowhere near kids right now. And uh, you bring up a lot of good points. Of, and I've talked to a lot of people about that, that have kids and, and they're afraid to, you know, show them the world, the outside world. But I think you, you go back to history class, and I've seen a couple posts, you know, will these events be in, the next generation's history books. Mm, right. Who knows? Um, 
But I think for you guys, I think it'd be important to be upfront and honest. If your kids come up yeah. to you and, and we learn about slavery today. Right. Then, then it's like, well, let's, let's, let's go eat some dinner and then we're going to skip bedtime. We're going to talk about it and lay it all on the line and, and be upfront and truthful about it and open their eyes. You have to, it's all about exposure. It's, it's how you expose them. If it's like, oh yeah, that's great. And then let it blow over. Then they'll never truly understand. That's true. Cause they're going to emulate you. If, if, if it doesn't matter to you, then it's not, then they're going to, they're going to emulate a lot of that. The other thing is, like, well, doesn't affect me at all. Th there is a simple principle that I know that we can teach. And I try to teach my kids and that is treat everyone the same, treat everyone the same. I mean, it's a simple principle so much. So it's uh, it's almost cliche. Just treat others the way you would be expected. It doesn't mean anything to anybody until you've been treated wrong. Right. To be clear. Like, yeah. like I'll tell them that treat people how you want to be treated until they dealt with, being treat, mistreated to, you know, to a level that affects your inner being, then yeah. it's hard to process that. But you hope that they'll remember it whenever that happens. You know, remember yeah. how that felt? Remember how that felt? This is, this is what I've been trying to teach you. Don't be yeah. that person. Yeah. Don't be that person. And, and right now we're, kids are so influenced by their friends, right? And they always want to do, well, Jimmy Joe has this thing and Sally has this thing. Like, I need to have it. Like we, we always got to be, you know, right there, keeping up with the Joneses and whether that's in a group and you're picking on somebody, that's where it starts is like, mm. we should not allow it start bullying. It's a problem that I dealt with in school. It's a worldwide problem in our school system nowadays that we seem to can't, cannot get a hold on. And, and it starts there. It's, it's like, you're right. We treat everybody with respect until they're around their friends and they try to act cool because they think it's a cool thing to do. And so it's like, how do we get kids to understand that, you know, what's right, what's wrong. Right. right. So it's tricky. Man. I'm going to come back to y'all on that when I have kids, but I got to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was, that brings up a great, uh, to Twitter's credit, I did draw a, a question from a follower of yours and mine, Bubba. Tim's question, uh, which I thought was a great one. In all seriousness, can you guys offer some advice to people on how to start these difficult conversations? A lot of folks just don't know how to start them conversations. And I think that we just, not only talking about conversations about race between the black and the white communities, but also to our children. How do you start those conversations? I think just being upfront and honest and sharing with your children your own values and what you would hope that they would choose to do in any situation is the way to go there. But let's go back to, to Tim's question of how do you start that difficult conversation uh, about racism? How do I start that conversation? How does someone else that wants to reach out to you, Bubba, or wants to talk to you about that, start that conversation? Well, I think it's simply as, hey, man, what are your thoughts on what's going on in the world? And they offer their advice. And I think that's where it kind of snowballs from there, or not advice, their opinion. Yeah. If I'm tired of hearing about it, I don't want to talk about it, then that, that, that's your, the door just opened up for you to be like, why not? Why not? Why don't you want to talk about it? Are you tired of it? Why, why are you tired of it? Or if they're all, you know, for it, then it's like, okay, well, let's come together and, and start this gospel of, of how we can get more people involved to help the narrative, help, help push the narrative along. But it's all about 
you, you have to be the man in charge of being like, hey, man, I just want to sit here and talk about uh, today's world and society and, and how it's going. What is your thoughts? Yeah. And, and you get that direction right there. You have, you have two ways to go. You have a way to educate them or a way to both y'all listen to each other and, and continue to grow together. Oh, that's so interesting. You know, and about Tim's question, Dale, is uh, one thing, how do we start the conversation? It's another thing to have it publicly. The conversation publicly is a completely different conversation. And so we're having a public conversation of sorts. It's just distant here. Speaking about it publicly and having that, that's what's fascinating about you and Ty Dillon. Yeah, that was, that was, I literally had just pulled up to RCR. Um, we were running some sim stuff. And uh, he texted me. He said we were we were talking about the silence in the group chat, and I were very vocal about that. And uh, he was like, "What do you think about going on Instagram Live?" And I sat there and I thought about it, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." You know, I mean, I said the race is going on though, and I'm not getting a lot of views, but that's besides the fact. And I was like, "Yeah, sure." You know, let me get home and get some dinner in, and let's do it. That was. Off the wall, off the cusp, non-scripted. Just he asked what my stories were, and I laid it on the line like I always do. I am one hundred percent raw and real every time. And you know that that's the way it went. And I thought it was powerful. Now I'm not, um, you know, a guy that is very uh, by the book and by the Bible. And and when he brought out the prayer at the end, that was like. That was the most amazing thing ever. I thought that was incredible. And the way he was just sitting there and, and wanting to learn, he wanted to know how to be a better person. Yeah. You know, maybe he had had troubles in his past. Who knows? Ty's always been a great guy. And, but he wanted to be even better than what he was. And there's so much respect into that because when you think that ah, doesn't bother me, it doesn't affect me at all, but I want to learn about it so I can be better and educate other people. That shows a lot of power, you know, to Todd Dillon, and I appreciate that. I, I didn't, I didn't know what, to, what, how long we were going to talk, what we were going to talk about. He just simply said, "I want to hear your stories, what you've gone through," and I was like, "All right, sit back, you know, because this, yeah. this, it hasn't been all good." And, and like I told you, Dale, my, my instance there uh, of being uh, told to get out of my car and, and have it searched, and it's funny on that instance, and I forgot to mention last night. I just got my car clean and I had, um, I think a race, a race winning check just cashed and I had all that money in my car, but we had cleaned it and we had taken it out. So imagine if the money was in there. Oh man. So, you know, and it's like, man, those instances. And there's another instance. And the reason I can talk to my mom today is I wanted to bring it up. I lost my cousin. I was eight years old. This was a year before I started racing. I think I was eight. We were at my sister's basketball tournament. Can't remember where. I was running around the gym with all the other brothers and sisters there. And all of a sudden I hear a scream. Like like the, the worst scream that you'd want to hear. Not like a somebody scared you scream. Like something bad had just happened. And I look over and I see my mom running out the door. And we had just found out my cousin was shot and killed by a police officer. Unarmed. Um, and so it was, uh, I was young. I didn't understand it. I just, we lost a family member, but now seeing everything come full circle, I, I totally get it now. 
they uh, they had just left. Um, oh, she just told me they just left somewhere, uh, football game or something. He was eighteen. Um, they all went to a gas station here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, playing loud music. There's a whole crowd hangout spot. You know, after football games, we would go to McDonald's right here down the street and all hang out, blast music. I had the system in my car, so I was blasting the music, but never thought about you know that I was bothering somebody. But the store clerk who happened to be white felt threatened that there was more African-Americans that, that something bad was going to happen. So she called the cops and um, the police officer had ordered my cousin Sean to put his hands up and he did. And then that officer walked away and he went to grab his phone to call his mom because he was scared and was shot and killed from the other police officer. So, and it's like, all because people were having a good time, not bothering somebody, but it, 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 it somehow people are afraid. Why are you afraid of black people? That's that's just the thing I don't understand. Like, we're minding our own business, we're having a good time, and and somebody's life was taken, and, and it happened to my family member, and and I've never shared that story. I remember in fourth grade, I was crying. I I got letting out of class for it. Um, but now truly understanding it, it, it definitely hurts a lot more now that I can. Uh, decipher what really went on into it said he was reaching for a gun and wasn't so you know that that's tough and you know I've dealt with that that's indirectly but it's family and I've dealt with my struggles you know directly uh, of, of getting pulled up at stoplight like I talked about last night and having guns drawn not pointed at me but they're out of their holster ready to do something and that that moment you know being pulled out in front of and turn on your hazards is a sign that you're slow and I need to go around you. But when it's undercover cops, you can't do that. And when it's tinted windows, they don't know what to expect. So they're ready for anything. So one wrong move, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. And then the comments after, and this is where we can help so many people. It's the comments that they made towards me that pissed me off the most. Can you afford this car? This is a nice car. Mm. Oh my goodness. And I said, yes, sir, I can. And what I wanted to say is, yeah, I'll have you one here Monday. I'll have your mama here one on Tuesday. I'll have the rest of your family here on Wednesday because that's how much money I make. But I didn't. I let it, I let it go because one wrong move because I'm black could have had me on the pavement saying I can't breathe. So, you know, that's a, that, that's a, that's the point that I've, I've sort of learned is that, you know, there's a lot of people that would respond to what you just said as you know, bad things happen to everybody in the course of a lifetime. You know, everybody's going to be mis mistreated. Everybody's going to do that. And, and there's truth to that for sure. There is truth to that. We all have been mistreated at one time or another, yep. but we haven't feared for our lives. Like that, there's, there are things that happen that you shouldn't have to wonder about getting shot. And there's the difference, right? I get pulled over. Been, it's happened a bunch. Not once did it even enter my mind, the things that have to enter your mind and other people's minds that have to deal with this. That's their reality. Your reality and my reality are not the same realities. You know, nope. for better or nope. worse, it's not the same. And so that's where we, I think we lack empathy. But there's, there's a, a big distinction in being mistreated and fearing for your life. Yep. And... I think that, you know, a lot of the expression that we see going on around our country right now 
it gets to that point when you fear for your life. Don't you agree? Yep, you know? I agree 100%. You said it right. There's a, there's a big gap in between being mistreated and fearing for your life. I think we're seeing fear, you know, fears for life. And, and fortunately, you're seeing a lot of other people joining that, people that don't necessarily fear for their lives, people that are privileged, people that do. They're, they're, they're realizing the, uh, you know, the problem with that. It's just a problem. We shouldn't yep. be this fearful. And if you are, let's not nitpick why you are. Let's listen and say, okay, how can we fix the fear, the, 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 the cause of the fear? You know? Yep. Goes back to listening. Goes back to listening. Boy, isn't that a good lesson? Yep. Going back to listening. Brother, I kept you on here a lot longer than I told you I would. Hey, man, it's all good. I can go on for days, brother. We can keep going. Yeah. We got a part. <laughs> look out. Look, at, look, he just dropped in. He's rolled in. Uh, who jumped in? Chase. Look at this. Go ahead, caller. Who's on this? What are we doing? Hey, old boy. <laughs> How about you? What's going on? We've been talking to Bubba forever. It's been a good conversation. Good. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing today, Chase? You know, I've been uh, doing doing uh, media for the past hour and a half. Have you? Yeah. And I get to end it on a high note with y'all, so don't let <laughs> Now, that's the biggest load of BS I've ever heard, because he's just like, now nah, I'm ending it with more media. <laughs> no, I've been, I've been waiting on this one all day, so I appreciate y'all. Oh, no. <laughs> Chase, you're so full. Hey, Chase. Uh, are these fellows like Bubba, are they inviting you to more things or are they still just leaving you off the invite list like they used to? Are we live right now? We're always live, buddy. You don't you know how the world works now? Yeah. You know, I feel like I've got I've got a couple invites here lately uh, to some things. So I appreciate that. You know, it's the thought that counts. At the end of the hey, Chase, who flew with you to, to Bristol? Uh, who did fly with me to Bristol? My dad. Dad flew with me to Bristol. Oh, is that right? I thought Ryan flew with you too. He might have been in there. I think it was hanging out the pool down at your house. Yeah, I, I, I just seen that on social media. How, Bubba, how did you get to Bristol? Uh, I rode my motorcycle, which is a lot more peaceful, but we're talking about invites. I, I would love to be at Chase Elliott's house after a, right. after a big win. You know, I'd love to be kicking it back, throwing back a cold one, but no, I'll just ride my motorcycle, whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we got you. while we got both of y'all here, let's talk a little bit of racing. Bubba, I, I didn't want to let you go without – Giving you some props on a great finish at Bristol. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier in the conversation how the cars has been fast this year. Um, and you were uh, really aggressive. Um, one particular th situation with Eric Amarola down in the turn Man, one. Man, all right, I I'm stopping you right what there. What happened? <laughs> Did you not see? They literally said, oh, Bubba, oh, wait, Brad gets get, – Brad's pushing Bubba, and then they just go back to Bubba just wrecked Amarola. What? <laughs> what? Brad was pushing me the whole time. So they it worked out really good for you. It did. True X got <laughs> bottled up. So we, uh, he gave me a ride back to the bus uh, on the golf cart. And Trish was like, dude, what happened? Did you just get in there and, and get into Amarola? I said, no, dude, I was getting pushed. So I said, whoever moved you or whatever happened, he's like, I just got sideways. I said, okay. Eric filled the hole and then he checked up. And I got to run underneath him. And while Freddie's saying, block bottom, block bottom, I look over and here comes the two of Brad coming in there. Now, like the Jimmy and uh, Stenhouse deal, Jimmy can't see who, what's in front of Stenhouse at that moment. I can't see what the 19's doing. So I'm just like, oh, I'm trying to hold a pretty wheel. I'm getting shoved in there. You literally feel front bumper, back bumper, front bumper, back bumper. And then caution's out. It's like, okay, that was just an accordion effect. I don't know who was pushing Brad, whatever. But it's clear as day on the replay that I am getting pushed by the two car. 
still my fault. Love I it. thought it was awesome. I yeah. thought it was awesome. I would take full credit for what happened right there if I were you. Hey, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I finished 10th. Where'd they finish? <laughs> <laughs> why, maybe you both can chime in because you both kind of been on involved in some things this year. But why, why do y'all think guys are being a little more aggressive? I love it. I think we need, you know, uh, more aggression in our sport yes. and more beating and banging and carrying on. And, and yeah, obviously more short tracks if we can get them. But um, yeah. why do you think the – why do you think the intensity is higher? Is or is it? It does it not seem higher to you guys? You tell me. Um, I feel it's higher. I've always been the person to race race hard from lap one to lap five hundred at Bristol. Like that's how I was brought up, man. The whole letting go and faster than you. You're faster than me. You'll figure out a way to get around me. You know. And nobody lets nobody lets nobody go anymore. Good. Everybody races. Everybody races. Everybody for position. Love like when I was in 2000, and just picking a year, like 2010. Everybody let everybody pass. What happened? Y'all are the reason we got to where we are. We've got to get get you guys out and let people get back to racing. Chase, it was us old. It was us old farts. Is it in there riding around all day? <laughs> Chase and I and Ryan, we race each other the hardest because I think it's like a, a bragging rights competition. Like I'm gonna race them hard, knowing in two laps they're gonna blow my doors off. So it's like, I'm going to put up a good fight now. Is that true, Chase? Chase, does Bubba race you harder than other people? Oh, I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he, he, he had to look out the window to get that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's all good. No, come on now. Come on. You, you, you got to tell him because you're not going to invite him on your airplane. So so you're going to have to tell him now. I mean, there's no, unless, Amen. unless you want to ride on the motorcycle, this is your chance to tell him. <laughs> 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 Maybe I do want to ride shotgun on. Give me a sidecar. I'd love to ride with you, Tristan. Sidecar. That's oh, awesome. Oh, speaking of that, I got a picture of him and Ryan riding. No. Oh. No, you don't. <laughs> nah. Come on. Did that happen? Did that happen? Oh, I got one. Didn't that happen at uh, on y'all's trip? No, no, no. This was um, this was at, at uh, Ryan's place uh, right next door to you, Dale. And they, they oh. were just sitting in the motors. They were just sitting in the uh, – I was gonna say, yeah, they weren't riding anywhere. It was funny. Let, let's let's riding. let's not share this. Why don't we? <laughs> no, nah, let's, let's 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 get this, this one out. This is this is the content we're here for, boys. <laughs> Look at this. Oh, Hold on, get it in front of the camera. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Appreciate y'all's time. Some things, hey, some things are never just going to come out. Sometimes, oh, there, Chase, it. you just got to be ready. Perfect time. But, hey, to Dale's point, I want to tell you both something, Chase. Man, I'm going to tell you. So, when you guys were preparing to go back to Darlington, uh, you know, we're sitting here and getting all excited because look, you know, we're we're just fans, we're spectators. And I and I said on this show, me and Dale were talking, and I said, man, you know, I hope, gosh, I hope these drivers are just. Um, not you know, I hear them all saying, "Man, we're just ready to get back in the car." But like, there's an opportunity here with no other sports going on to to really rise up. And if you're gonna, if you got aggression in you, show your aggression. And if you got personality, show your personality. And if you got things, holy, I didn't even think Chase, you gone, you took that to a whole nother level, dude. I mean, like I, we're seeing, this is the chase we came for right here, dude. And you're winning. I I, I just gotta applaud you both. And I know those Chevrolets are driving good. I know. I got it. But, man, the way the races have been so entertaining for us, you know, and it's, it's, this is what – this might have been the jolt we needed. 
You know, while all these other guys are sidelined looking, seeing if we're going to mess this up by coming back too early, you guys have come up here. You took the stage, you took the spotlight, and you're running with it, man. I just I, that, that's not a question. I just want to say thanks to both of you for it. And Chase, yeah. my God, man, <laughs> you you don't come out, uh, you know, on a tear, and I love it, dude. This is this is. I hope it just continues with. I hope so. It's been fun. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, one thing too, I, I think NASCAR deserves some credit, you know, and I'll be the first one to say they're, they're typically not the ones to be trendsetters. Um, I feel like we're a lot of times following suit of, of, you know, other playoff formats or this or that. And I feel like in the past we've tried too hard to be like other sports, but mm. I do think they deserve a little bit of credit and coming back first. I don't think it's coincidence that, you're now seeing F1 come out with their schedule and all of a sudden they're racing at two tracks in a row and um, all these things that they've been trendsetters in that. So I think it's been fun. I think it's been a good time for our sport under bad circumstances, but um, I think we've made the most of it as a, as an industry. Well, it's been a lot of fun to watch you guys. And I think I asked Chase this the other day, I was talking to him and I'll let you uh, chime in, Bubba. The no practice, no qualifying. Do you think that that, is better and do you think that it also adds to what we're seeing in the race as far as the more more exciting sort of wild wild racing we're seeing i i believe so i'm a i'm a fan of it i i think i said uh who i was talking to uh, i think it was an air force meeting greet i think 10 minute hot lap session right before the race let's just roll out get our travels right make final adjustments right there and then roll other than that i'm i'm good with it i, I like showing up getting in and getting out. Uh, I think it adds for a lot more excitement. You, uh, the unknowns of your car are kind of still there, um, and you don't know what to expect. So for us, it's definitely helped. We've, we've brought some really good cars. We'd like to uh, attribute it to the hard work back of the shop, for sure. We've done a good job. Um, but how much of that has played into just no practice and allowing other teams not to, you know, allow it to miss it that week. So yeah. we're capitalizing on that. What about you, Chase? Oh, I think it's great. You know, there's a few things I've thought about in this is, is, you know, number one, we're asphalt racing, right? And that asphalt changes a heck of a lot less than a dirt track does. And those guys practice for 10 minutes every Friday night before they go race, number one. And then the second thing I think about is we're supposed to be professionals at the top level of stock car racing. And every short track in America that races on Friday night, those guys show up on Friday afternoon, practice for 45 minutes, and then go race that night. So why is it that we're supposed to be the best, but we practice for two days before we get to race on that guy practice for 45 minutes? I don't get yes. <laughs> Love it. This is the Chase Elliott I have been waiting on right here, boys. I'm telling you. <laughs> Love it. We're supposed to be the best. That's right. I, I mean, that's what I'm everybody talks it. about all the time. I'm not saying we are, but. We're supposed to be. We should at least, you know, try to act like it, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, you got to believe you are, man. That's right. You're the best in my eyes, Chase. You're the best that ever will be. Love you, buddy. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> oh, man. Chase, speaking of, you know, being being aggressive this past weekend at Rich, uh, Bristol, uh, you sent it down into the corner the last couple laps trying to get your car out front. Didn't work out. But – I know that you might not be able to see it because you were on the wrong end of it, but man, was it fun to watch. And it, I hadn't seen – that was old Bristol. That to me is 80s, 90s Bristol. And I thought, okay, maybe that's just, you know, just a one-off. Um, maybe old Bristol isn't back. Maybe 
old beating and banging racing at short tracks isn't back. But then my own driver, Noah Gregson, goes out there last night and almost <laughs> has the exact same move. He's even driving the same numbered car uh, and drives down in the corner and cleans out his teammate, Justin Al- Algar, and, and uh, it's been a tough day for me. But uh, He did sell it on in there, didn't he? He did. So, and, and, and I think when it was all over, I was, after that race was over with, I was sitting there thinking, well, you know, maybe Bristol is back. Maybe, maybe, you know, the style of racing that we come to love at that place decades ago is, is kind of made it back with the PJ one. I was almost kind of losing, falling out of favor with that PJ one. But, um, what y'all's opinion on it now after Bristol, after, I know that that race didn't work out like you wanted it to chase, but after that race, What's your opinion on PJ1, and what would you do different to try to make that pass work? Yeah, I mean, those are good questions. I mean, I think that PJ1 stuff is a good thing. You know, I I think that kind of going back, I guess, to the dirt racing thing, and one thing I felt like that makes dirt racing really entertaining is the racetrack's dynamic throughout an event. Um, asphalt racing is a little bit, you know, guys working the groove up to find fresh racetrack, but I just think that stuff being on – the surface at some point in time, we're going to wear it out. So that's going to make you have to go somewhere else. Um, and I think that change is good. I think, I think the racetrack changing over the course of an event is going to make for a better race in my opinion. Um, and then as far as, you know, what I would do different, you know, I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, just be better to be able to go better on the short run. Number one, to not let him buy, uh, to not give him the opportunity. I thought the restart went really good. And, um, you know, ultimately I should have just been fast enough to where he never had a shot at me, but, you know, looking back, I, I felt like he was, he had more pace than me at the time. I didn't want him to get to my outside. I thought for sure, if he got to my outside, it was over. So I ran the top and, and looking back, I don't know that I should have run all the way up to the wall. Uh, maybe should have run the middle there for a few more laps and played, played better defense. Um, but once he got by me and then I got back to his inside, I felt like I had to try to slide back up in front of him there in, into three and ultimately just didn't have enough momentum, uh, to do that. And then he was anticipating it and, and shortcut the corner too. So just all those things put together didn't, didn't work out, but you know, you look back and it's like, man, do you be more patient? Do you fall back in line? You know, I don't know that you fall back in line. There's enough time to get another run at him. I mean, there's, there's, you're coming to two to go. There are three to go or whatever it is. And it takes a couple laps to set up a pass a lot of times. Um, so I just felt like the, you know, the shot to try to get back in front of him was there. And if I didn't do it right then, I thought it was over for me. And it's way too important to win these races to not, to not try to try to win. And forward, buddy. Well, hey, I appreciate your time today. I know you've been real busy. Um, thanks for giving us a few minutes. Uh, Bubba, thanks for coming on, and we we hung on to you longer than I told you we would. All good, Bubba. I appreciate you being a leader in this sport. Yeah, man. And there, and we're leaning on you big time right now, and and uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate sure. how you're handling all this. Yeah, well, reach out if y'all got anything to ask me, so I won't hesitate. You got it, buddy. Right. Thank you, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Y'all take it yeah. easy. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, gonna, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am 
online as soon as tickets open. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you, you know, you got to act quick. Yes. And when you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for a business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. Mm. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, Mike, so um, pretty wild uh, racing action this weekend at Bristol Open Segment. I want to keep this short. You know, there's so much going on in the world. I just wasn't really feeling compelled to be conversational about what was happening at the racetrack this weekend. I haven't, I haven't been on my sim rig or really done anything, but just kind of been studying what's happening and uh, trying, to, trying to learn uh, why it's happening and, and what I need to do about that. So I was sitting there last night and, and, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to wait till we get the podcast going today to talk about, you know, what happens when your cars crash into each other. Noah and Justin Algar racing for the win at Bristol. And Justin had been doing really well all, all race long, leading a lot of laps. 150 laps. And Noah had been doing equally as well as far as his speed and so forth, passed a lot of cars. And both of them are sitting there with a shot to win at the end. Now, Justin has the lead. They get a restart. Justin goes down in the corner. He missed the bottom and opened up the opportunity for Noah to get to his inside. And, and Justin has admitted that's his first mistake that he wished he would have never made. He, he allowed Noah – if he doesn't allow Noah to get there, I think Justin wins the race. But he slipped up out of the, out of the sticky stuff, out of the traction compound, and Noah was able to fill that hole, and now they're side by side. They ran a corner or two, however many, it doesn't really matter. They ran, they ran a lap almost before contact. I was, my, my initial reaction as soon as it's happening was anger, frustration with the fact that Noah got loose and got into Justin, and now Justin's not only going to – not win the race, but he's going to finish terribly, right? He's going to, he's, he's crashing. And so that's the, uh, uh, right as it's happening, that's like the first flash in your mind is, damn it, Noah, now we're screwed, right? Now Justin's screwed and, and then a switch will flip immediately in seconds. And your mind goes to, Noah, you better win this race. Mm, right. Noah, you, if you lose this race now, You've opened up the opportunity for all of us to set you down and say, what in the hell were you thinking? The only way that he can, and it's not really that winning's going to make this right, but the only way he can come out of this with any kind of argument is to win. And he goes and wins, okay? And so he's sitting there winning and standing on his car and doing what he's doing. And, and, and I'm sitting there thinking in my mind, man, how do I feel about this? How do I feel about this? So Noah just won Bristol. I can't take that away from him. I don't want to take that away from him. I'm trying to put myself in Noah's shoes. Like 
I don't want to take away the joy or the happiness that Noah's feeling, that his his team is feeling. I don't want to uh, minimize it. I don't want Noah to to think that he has you know made this cardinal sin or or you know. It, if you have race cars on the racetrack and multiple cars on the racetrack, at times they are going to race each other. And sometimes when they race each other, they do crash into each other. It's inevitable. It's impossible to avoid. You don't want it to happen. You never want it to happen, but it's going to happen. And there's nothing that I could say. In fact, I've tried to figure out what to say to Justin, and I just can't come up with anything that would make a difference or help him feel better. There's nothing I could say to Justin in that moment or beyond that, that will fix it. He has to go to the next race and try to redeem himself. I mean, if I'm a race car driver and I feel like that I've been wrong or I I made a mistake or I didn't get the finish that I deserved, I need to get to the next race immediately. And, and, and fix it, fix it, get that fit, you know, get that result. And so while, uh, yeah, while Noah's sitting there doing his celebration and all, I'm just, you know, and, be, and, and even hours and, and on beyond that, I, re- I mean, I reached out to Noah and I said, hey, celebrate this win, be proud of it. Next time you're in that situation, try not to crash your teammate. Try to do it clean. That's all I can ask him to do. Now, if, you know, if this is something that continues, if he disregards my advice, it will, it will change from being advice to, uh, you know, a demand, you know, and then we're going to have a real problem. But, you know, in, in, until it becomes a problem at this particular point, it's, it's just hard racing that might have crossed a few lines. And sometimes in racing, particularly at short tracks like Bristol, those are, those are crossed all night long. We watched guys beating and banging in that race, and it was a great race to watch. We saw the cup guys getting aggressive with each other as well, so it wasn't sort of out of the ordinary. It's just unfortunate. That's the toughest part of being an owner, in my mind, is when the two, your two cars are racing for the lead. Right, right. Bristol, no bless. I mean, the God, but, you know. We've had years where we've been down, not even competitive. Those are not fun. But I think the hardest thing to stomach is that one of your guys is going to be disappointed while the other is celebrating. So you are literally torn in half as to how to, how to feel. This happened also at, at Homestead a couple of times. We're sitting there racing for the championship. For example, William Byron and Elliot Sadler. Elliot Sadler, yep. Here, you, here I am thinking, man, Elliot Sadler is finally going to be able to put you know, put the period at the end of the sentence in his career with a championship, something that he's, he just needs this so badly. And it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't to be. William Byron wins the championship. That's, that's equally as amazing for me. But half of me is in the dumps because of Elliot not able to secure something that was elusive and that he really wanted and his time was running out for him to acquire. And then the other half of me is elated for William because I've been part of his journey. He, he came and raced late models with us, went to race trucks for Kyle, and then he was going to move on from us and go race for Rick Hendrick. And we were helping in that process. So that's going to happen in race. I mean, I guess it's a, I guess it's a good problem to have. It's not, it's not really a good problem to have. But there's a lot worse things going on, uh, as Justin Algar said. And Justin took that opportunity to, to reflect and compose himself and move on to the next event. As he always does, as yeah. he always, I mean, such a professional. He is. He's a professional. And I knew, I knew is, that is probably the maddest that I think I've ever seen him. And, you know, like he always does, he pulled himself together. 
I'm sure he had a lot of thoughts and comments and emotions to direct toward Noah, which he may. Uh, and I told Noah, I said, look, you're going to have to work really, really hard to repair that relationship with Justin if he chooses to do that. So that's the other thing I think a lot of people maybe don't know well enough is that the, you know, although they are teammates and although you do want them to work really well together, they haven't known each other for very long. Mm. You know, they haven't been fast friends for years and racing each other up through the ranks. And you're going to get teammates, not that Noah and Justin are like this, you're going to get teammates that don't see eye to eye, don't get along. Right. But hopefully they can work it out. I'll, t- I'll tell you, though, if, if if they want to continue to get aggressive and, and they're racing up front and having great years, I don't know how much involvement I'll have in trying to micromanage their decisions on the racetrack. So there's been some times where we've had to step in with Noah this year where he's made some mistakes. And, you know, for example, at Vegas, spinning Myatt on the straightaway and all that. And we'll continue to do that with Noah and try to help him become a better race car driver. You know, when, it, when they're racing like that, I don't know that I can step in there and say, don't you, you need to change this and, and you need to change that. I would just challenge Noah to do it cleanly next time and not to, not to make that mistake. How you feel? Uh, I feel as conflicted as you do. I also wonder about the crew chiefs and the dynamics down that hallway because they, we got two awesome crew chiefs, Dave Ellens and Jason Burdett, that have worked well for each other. I like the complexities that go into that, you know, team frictions you worry about because, you know, those old team guys now. You know, they get they competitive. And so there's a lot of ramifications that could come into something like that, especially when yeah. you both have a chance to win. And everybody, you know, wins are too – there's a premium on them, man. you got to win. And, and so – yeah, it ain't easy, is I guess my point, which is uh, just re- reaffirming what you're saying. I find it interesting that you were feeling a need to console Al Geyer and coming up empty because what do you say to a guy like that? What do you say? Get him next time. I mean, that doesn't do it. And then you're going to say sorry because it ain't your fault. I, mean, I can't look at I can't look at Justin in the I can't look Justin in the face and tell him that I'm I'm unhappy with how we won. Right. Right. Um, I can't look at Justin in the face and I, and and lie to him and say, uh, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm disappointed in Noah for losing for winning that race." I mean, if that's anybody else on the racetrack, I'm like, "Good job, Noah. Who cares who got put in the fence?" You know. But it, it was our car, so you know, I'm split in half about it. This is the Ask Junior portion of the podcast where I'll answer the questions you sent in. It's all brought to you by Xfinity, premier partner of NASCAR and our podcast, and your partner for fast internet. Hey everybody, it's Dale Junior. Uh, this is the Ask Junior portion of the show uh, from our Dirty Mo Media YouTube channel. Thanks for everybody for tuning in and sending in questions for us to be able to get this segment going. Thanks to Xfinity for being a sponsor of the Ask Junior segment and, our, and supporting our podcast. Great company, been supportive of NASCAR for years. We're glad to have them. Leah, you got the questions ready. Let's get started. I do. We're going to stay on theme um, on uh, on track kerfluffles, as our friend Higgy says. He wants to know if you are a fan of immediate discussion after the race, like Chase and Logano, or letting the dust settle and discussing it later, or does it depend on the situation? You know, it depends on the situation, where the driver's at, whether you can get to him, whether he can get to you. You know, just, just what's happening around in the moment. I think you just kind of work off instinct at that time, how you want to handle that situation. If you're angry and you want to get something done about it right then, you feel like that that's the only way you're kind of going to be able to release that energy, go handle it. If you feel like, man, this might be a mistake. I need to go take a break. I need to go talk to somebody who can clear my head. Uh, you go do that. You know, I've kind of handled things differently many different times and 
sometimes you don't even get that choice. You, you kind of end up in front of the media before you ever get to make any choice one way or another. And, and that conversation with the media can dictate which way you go, because maybe you say something in the media, you blow off some steam, you say something angry and, and, and there's your point, you know, you've made your point that way. And then you walk away. It just depends on what's really happening in the environment. Our next question coming from Jake Wilson. How do you think the racing will be at Atlanta given the surface and the heat drivers will be racing in as opposed to racing there in March when it's cooler? Yeah, the, um, the one thing that I think is important to remember with Atlanta is the track being so abrasive. It's going to eat up that first set of tires, probably that second set of tires as well. NASCAR is probably going to have maybe certainly one controlled caution possibly two competition yellows in that first four to 50 to 60 laps to to make sure that nobody has any tire issues because I promise you, man, as, as green and abrasive as that racetrack is, there's no way Goodyear could make a tire strong enough for anybody for that matter to, to be able to take those cars going around there for more than 20 or 30 laps before they're going to have to come to pit road and get more tires. And so it's a real safe play for NASCAR to do that competition yellow. We don't have any track time. There's no rubber down. They have to do this. There's no question. So that's going to be the thing that I pay attention pretty much in most of these races, even at some of the other tracks that's not quite as abrasive. That first set of tires is just going to get destroyed. And no place does that more than Atlanta, Darlington. Atlanta is going to be pretty wild. They'll be hanging on. They're going to be sliding all over the place. Around lap 10, lap 15, they probably won't work harder at any point in the race and they will right then in that moment. So if you're a fan like me watching the race, tune in to what you're seeing. Really pay attention to the drivers and how they're steering the car, what they're doing with the car, the choices they're making at lap 15 to 20, because that's when they're really going to be earning their paychecks. M writes in and she asks, is there anything in your life that you're hesitant to do at first, but ended up enjoying? About everything, probably. Um, <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike knows me pretty well. I'm I'm super shy. I don't like to get out in front of anybody. I don't like to do things in you know in front of crowds. Um, probably you know, I've had some real cool opportunities to to be a part of some of the award shows, go on some late night shows. You know, meet a lot of celebrities and 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 mingle in those circles. Go to football games, boxing matches, things like that. And I really honestly have to push myself into those environments. I just don't feel comfortable doing it. I'd rather sit at home and watch it from afar. I don't like being the center of attention in those situations. I feel like a fish out of water, like I don't belong. And I, f- I feel like that I just never saw myself having so much celebrity or fame. And also, I was in a sport that was so regional to me when I was young. And to be invited to these areas sort of outside of that bubble, that NASCAR bubble just seemed so strange to me. I just had never seen NASCAR in some of these spaces, working and living in some of these spaces and in, 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 of entertainment. And I, I didn't want to be the first guy, you know, it's like, you know, walking into a room or walking into a party, you want your buddy to go in first. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've lived my whole life sort of that way. And yeah, I still have that in me, you know, even, even today, uh, you know, we, we get a lot of, we get some requests that are just really intimidating and, and I have to have a, I have to literally have, I call Mike or I go sit down with Mike, Tony, you, Leah, and we all talk, we talk about why it's going to be a good experience, why I need to do this, why I should do this. And, and so a lot of times I'll go into those experiences and let's take, for example, maybe introducing a band at the MTV Music Awards decades ago. You know, I go into those terrified, terrified. 
and I come out of them exhilarated, thrilled is the greatest experience. I've never came out of a experience like that and got what I expected, which is a good thing. I always walk away really blown away and glad I did it, you know, and glad I pushed, glad I was talked into doing, doing it, glad I pushed myself to, to listen. Next question from Justin Williford. Uh, do you have a favorite non-sports video game? Well, I don't know if I have a favorite, but here lately I've been playing some Red Dead Redemption 2 on PC. Um, a little bit of Call of Duty, a little bit of DayZ. I like first-person shooters. I like to – I've always played Tom Clancy, Rainbow Six, things like that years ago. Some of my favorite games, original Rainbow Six. So, you know, I, I still get into that stuff from time to time. You know, it's a nice little change of pace from from iRacing all the time. I, I race – all the time. So it's nice to do something a little, little different in once in a while. I had my Wii in a box from, you know, years and years ago. And when we went into quarantine, I busted it back out. So we've been bowling and golfing and yeah. tennis, all that stuff. So that's been fun. <laughs> Me and Amy bought an old original Nintendo with a lot of games about a couple of years ago. And we were so psyched. She got on there and could play Mario Brother like she'd never put it down. She just started and just went right through the first stage like, like she'd just been playing it, right? I was amazed. I was like, wow, you remember everything you had to do. Because it's all, you know, it's all time, you know, there's all, but I, and I was excited about Double Dribble and Excite Bike. Those were my two favorites from the original Nintendo and Days of Thunder. And they looked a lot worse than I imagined. That's right. So surprised about how bad the graphics were. We are so spoiled uh, <laughs> by today's technology standards. There's one game, there's one Nintendo game that that didn't let me down years after, and that was still it was Mike Tyson's Punch Out. It yeah. still was good, but all the other ones, like you know, Ivan Iron Man uh, Stewart's Off Road Racing, oh, yeah, stuff wear that game out, and it's just like really, it only has like I can't believe I really spent this much time on this. Yeah, right. Oh, dude. Double dribble was awesome. You know? Double dribble. <laughs> Remember Blades of Steel. Blades of Steel. Excite bike. Remember building tracks and excite bike, making your own jumps? Kung Fu. Kung Fu. I remember Duck Hunt. That was my Duck favorite. Duck Hunt was, was yeah, DC, yeah, yeah, that's my favorite. Came with the game, came with this console. Yep. All right, guys. That's it for today. Wait, I got a question. I gotta oh. ask you a question. Kyle Bush and Kurt Bush in the booth. Oh. Awesome. Ain't that the truth? Yep. You know, my opinion as to why I enjoyed them was because that was probably the most genuine that I had ever seen them both. I've been around them both. I've been around them when they've been genuine. We had both of them on our show. They do incredible jobs in those, in those scenarios. But them together, you could really see the human... Brotherly. Brotherly sort of, yeah, this vibe was happening. The dynamic was there. It's yeah. like, you know. Where else are you going to be able to see somebody poke on Kyle and him not blow up? Because <laughs> he can't blow up at Kurt. Because half the thing's saying, probably more than half, Kurt's right. Right. Blow up on Kurt in the booth. I mean, like, well, yeah. Well, I'm just saying. It was the perfect scenario. I'm, it, Kurt keeps Kyle honest. Yeah. And Kyle keeps Kurt honest. And I really enjoyed that about it. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, both of them were really good. They Just were. great, good commentary. Kurt, Kurt is a good speaker. I never would have given him credit for that. But, you know, yeah. when he came on our show, he was, 
he was a good communicator and he yeah. brought that into the booth as well. And him and Kai, I agree. The dynamic was entertaining itself. You know, it was, it was incredible. I love seeing the cup guys in the Xfinity booth. I, know, yeah. I really do because we, we want so much to see their personalities and in the booth, they, they can't really control the whole narrative where, you know, with their social media and so forth, they get to, te- they get to, they get to choose really what we get to see in their lives and we take everything we can get. But um, in the booth, you know, they're kind of thrown into a live situation and it's fun to watch them think on their feet. And we tend to really get to see them get comfortable and, and, and the real individual really comes to the surface. Good stuff. All right, Leah, I have no further questions. <laughs> good, good questions, Mike. All right, everybody. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in for Ask Junior. Thanks to Xfinity for sponsoring the Ask Junior segment of our show and supporting the Dale Jr. Download. Xfinity has been a great partner for us, been an amazing partner for NASCAR. We'll hope you check them out. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoy the show. You got to be fast in our sport, and Xfinity knows a thing or two about that. With Xfinity, get blazing fast Wi-Fi without any pit stops. Xfinity X5 delivers the speed, coverage, security, and control you need to stay connected to NASCAR and Dirty Mo Media all season long. This is beyond Wi-Fi. This is X5. Keep your questions rolling in to at Xfinity Racing and at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter using hashtag AskJunior for a chance to have your questions answered by Dale Jr. himself. We're proud to partner with Xfinity, keeping us connected to the sport all season long. Shout out to Xfinity, premier partner of NASCAR. All right, everybody, that was a great show. Um, you know, we kept Bubba on here a little bit longer than we uh, – I told him we'd, we'd probably get, get about 45 minutes if we could and ended up running a lot longer than that. And it's just because he's so gracious and, and giving us an opportunity to really talk to him means a lot to me and uh, it should mean a lot to everybody else that's able to listen to the show. He's really stepped up in a big way and, and became a leader in our sport. We really need him at times like these. So, um, and thanks for Chase too, for ch- jumping in. I didn't know that he had such a long day of media and I, t- I called him on the phone or texted him yesterday and he said, no problem. Um, just a great ambassador for our sport, really becoming an ambassador right in front of our eyes. And so that's fun to watch as he becomes more and more prominent and, and showing his, showing his uh, real personality. Great questions with Ash Jr. And uh, just a fun show. And I, I don't know that I really was able to help articulate what it's like to, uh, to be an owner when your cars crash, but I tried my best. I hope everybody's staying safe out there. These are some crazy times. And I hope you're taking care of yourself and your family. So appreciate you guys tuning in and supporting our show. And we can't wait to talk to you next week. Thank you. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.